We huddle into outer space and navigate the ocean floor. Looking in and looking out, life was meant for more. Shapeshifters, shapeshifters with intrepid hosts, Andre and Azariah. Shapeshifters, shapeshifters, diving deeper and flying higher. Shapeshifters, shapeshifters. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Shapeshifters. I am Azariah. And I am Andre. Wonderful. And today we're thinking about the title, the theme, the topic of Shapeshifters. I love the voice. Thank you. <laughs> it's sort of like a 1950s. Came from beyond. This is the voice of the Mysterons. That whole thing. I, I found that very frightening, actually. Did you? It's a very bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> Those two little dots that used to go circling around people. Ooh. Very frightening. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so... When you think about shape-shifting, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so <clears throat> shape-shifting, I, I, I think one of the things to say about this in terms of the images that we use with this podcast is that we've used the images of two characters, uh, both of which have the capacity to shift their position, and uh, one of them is called Orbit, who's a space traveller, and mm-hmm. Orbit can go high up and look at things from a wide perspective, from a, an aerial perspective, and the bigger picture. Uh, the other character is called Ocean. Both of these characters have helmets and all of the gear on, but they're slightly different, of course, because one's up in, the, in space and one goes down into the deep-sea diving uh, world of the deep ocean. An ocean looks at things in the detail and in terms of the origins of where things come from, the origin story... Uh, and he or she looks at the kind of the, what's underneath the surface of things, basically. The things that perhaps we are not always aware of and that are kind of hidden in the corners. So for me, shapeshifting is really reflected in these two characters because um, it's something about moving our position, moving our identity, moving even our physicality into different shapes that open up or close down opportunities. Brilliant. And I think um, something of, of orbit is, is a something of a future and optimism and, and looking forward and something with the ocean of looking back and seeing what treasures might be there, what buried treasures we might have in, in, in our past, the kind of the X marks the spot. And so there's that trajectory as well. And what shape do we need to be for the future what shape has, has our past shapes to do? Because sometimes it's not just to do with choices, to do with circumstances, our context. Every time there's a transition in life, it's an opportunity for us to, to have an invitation to either become a tourist, where so if you think about going on a holiday, you can go, you can arrive at the, uh, the, the resort, you can get food that you know um, because it's just been shipped in from your country of, of origin. You can see other people around you that you know, but all you're getting is a little bit of the culture, a bit of the contours of the country, and the only time you're meeting the people that are there are uh, the people who are serving you. Yeah. And then you go back home, and that's, that's the tourist thing. Or 
you can do something more risky, which is to become a traveller. Yeah, I, I, I think that we have these opportunities whenever anything shifts in our lives. Uh, how we react to shifts like maybe losing a job or having a bereavement or leaving home for the first time or uh, getting into a relationship or leaving a relationship, uh, getting money, losing money, um, all these kind of shifts and changes that happen in everybody's everyday life. Uh, sometimes they're, they're actually quite dramatic, sometimes maybe less so. But these are all shifts of some kind and some of them are, feel really great and some of them feel really awful. Uh, I suppose in each one of those shifts we have this opportunity to be either tourists yeah. or, or to travelers. actually travellers who are taking part in yeah. some new adventure. Absolutely, because we're given this passport, um, we're given this opportunity to, uh, to cross, to, to pass over, to come into a new place. As a traveller, you need to be willing to learn the language, you need to be willing to get to know the community, you need to be able to recognise which places not to go, which places to go. But having, as he said, that sense of adventure. So whether it's you, you know, you are um, in a great relationship and all of a sudden now a child has been introduced into the couple, it changes everything. And are you going to um, uh, continue and survive the ups and downs and the turbulence of that and find some new life as the family increases and grows? Um, there's so many opportunities. Or maybe you're the floor manager in the factory and now you've become the team leader um, are you willing to pick up the skills that are necessary for you to change as you adapt to the new responsibility that you've yeah. got to take on I think that we instinctively um, will either go one way or the other so we'll either yeah. kind of try to maintain the status quo yeah. even though something may have changed or as, as you say like a job might have changed um, I think it's somewhat in our human nature to keep things the same because it's more familiar and it feels safer but also there's opportunities in these changes for us to shift our shape and to do something new it might be a new skill or it might be a new piece of learning that will actually extend our horizons and, and give us perhaps opportunities even and even an identity shift that hadn't been there before and I think that uh, it's a very sort of familiar level this happens it does happen when we go to a place we're not used to being in so when we go on holiday or work abroad or something like that I can remember going to Singapore for the f a few times for work to do teaching and it took me a while to realize that my way of thinking was was not really quite the same as the way of thinking that was going on in the culture although at first I wasn't clear about that and I, I suppose I took the decision to be not so much a tourist, but to be more of a, a kind of explorer into something that I wasn't familiar with. And that was very fruitful because it kind of opened up another way of looking at how people might relate to each other in terms of groups and in terms of families and in terms of a, a, a kind of mutuality of culture, which was somewhat different for me from an individuality of culture I think you've got to go there and experience it haven't you mm. you can't just it's not just something that you can um, look at a postcard watch a wish you were here um, documentary that was a, a TV English thing from a long time ago with Judith Chalmers I think 
wish you were here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not the same. You can't. You, you have to be within it. You have to immerse Swim. yourself within. This. I think it's like swimming in the water. I think yeah. you, it's it's like the uh, the character actually of ocean, diving under the surface and swimming inside something. And I think for me, culture is often best described as the ocean which is the ocean that we happen to swim in. The thing is that we think that's the only ocean there is, but there are other oceans as well yeah. where things operate in a somewhat different way. Sure, but we can be so afraid of, of losing that which we had, you say losing the familiar, but I think that we actually gain something. So there's some, if you think of, I heard some recent uh, reports of ethnographers who go into different cultures, uh, different tribal groups, um, and examine what's going on. So anthropologists trying to figure out why society does a particular thing, what the rite of passage is, uh, what different symbols mean, what their worldview is of spirituality or what have you. And there used to be a sense in which you went in there as the detached observer, but then there's been a bit of a sea change in that. Yeah. A number of ethnographers now are going in and what they're doing is they're getting stuck in to the culture and the situation there and they're becoming part of it to the extent that they can be and in so doing they're experiencing in a new way um, what the people around them are experiencing they're being accepted and adopted into that culture because they're no longer judging it from a distance but they're participating in it and it's changing them and it's, it's broadening their horizons. Uh, for me, one of the models that really helps to understand that change is the rites of passage idea. And people talk about this in different ways, but essentially it's a three-stage process, which starts off with what I would say is ori orientation, uh, which is the familiar and the known world as we are used to it being. And oftentimes we like things to stay just as they are. The second stage, though, is something happens, a bereavement or something big happens in our lives, and actually, if we don't cling on to the familiar, we go into a period of disorientation, of not quite knowing what's up or down or what's normal or what's not normal because the normal parameters have changed. And that's followed by what people sometimes describe as reorientation, which is that we kind of reorganise our worlds so that we can function in everyday life, but they're not quite the same as they were before. And maybe we're not quite the same as we were before either. And so the typical example would be the rites of passage between uh, childhood and adulthood in certain cultures around the world, where the, the child goes through a perhaps a ritual kind of process, going off into the forest and having to survive, and then coming back. And when they come back, they're not the same. Their identity has changed as far as their culture goes. They're no longer a child. They're now an adult. And I think we all have this opportunity to either be a tourist or to actually take part in an expansion of our own shape yeah. when we're confronted with these kinds of changes. But there is always this disorientating element to it. Yeah. And that makes sense. I, I get that. Um, Mum used to tell me that before I was born, my father had a dream. And in his dream, I was running. And being asthmatic, being a bit overweight as a kid... That was something I could never imagine. But in the last year, I've been getting into running. And it's that thing of having to begin to think of myself as a runner and then the disorientation of going out for runs and saying, you know, 
see to the family for a little bit while I've been trying to get that done and just the disruption that's caused at home and mm. and change that, it, that it's meant. Um, and now, at the time of recording, this Sunday I'm going to be doing my first 10k run in Hyde Park. That's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's all happened within the last year. Um, and that is a shape-shifting thing and literally because I'm getting a little bit slimmer through the running as well which is a, which is a nice benefit um, but also shifting the way I thought about myself and so so now I'm looking forward to Sunday looking forward to doing that run wow and and that kind of brings me on to the the other thing I wanted to say about shape-shifting which mm. was that although what we've been talking about to some extent has been quite a lot to do with the way we see the world and quite conceptual what you're describing is very physical and from an acting point of view when I, when I was training to be an actor and, and going through that process I, I became really aware that, that actors have this secret knowledge that I, I think the rest of the world needs to hear more about which is that actors are really expert at shifting their shape through not just internal changes um, uh, of, of perspective and getting in touch with certain feelings, but external changes. Uh, so, for example, Commedia dell'arte, um, form of theatre, which is an older form, the actor would change into a particular kind of character simply by letting one part of their body be the central central focus and being led by that part. So it might be that they'd be led by... The, the, their forehead now if you try this exercise at home folks uh, what happens is if you are led by your forehead you bump into a wall you could easily bump into a wall <laughs> but you also something happens and you become very curious about everything and everything's very interesting and you're looking around I'm doing it now folks can't he see is, it he is but I'm actually true. doing it now and you start looking around and following your forehead it changes things when we change our physicality and so <clears throat> this is a kind of maybe an idea for us to sort of keep thinking about after this podcast is over is are there things we can do physically to do with posture um, there's been some uh, interesting work done on posture actually recently by uh, Amy Cuddy uh, who did a TED talk on this and essentially what, one of the points she was making was that posture changes the way we see ourselves and the way other people see us as well and uh, this is again very much the same principle it's great for if you've got a job interview mm. you've got a first date all these sort of things because people do judge us on those first impressions don't they mm. and, and uh, it's amazing actually how when we're I think I've always had a problem with slumping and uh, by that I mean sort of looking at the ground when I'm walking and I think it kind of is born out of a bit of insecurity maybe or a bit of low self-esteem but you could go through years of therapy and that's fine but sometimes it's also useful to just shift your posture and see what effect it has so if I start to sit up uh, a little bit straighter with a sense of an invisible band putting me up through the centre of my uh, skull going upwards there's a sense of energy lifting up me lifting up I can breathe a bit more easily my voice probably changes a bit um, Alexander technique which is often something actors and musicians use very much helps with this which is the sort of realigning of the body so that there isn't collapse going on and it's not primarily a, a sort of therapeutic tool but it, I think it's quite therapeutic 
thing to do because it kind of releases us into a more energised place. And that's physical, but it's also like everything's connected to everything. It's emotional and psychological as well. So this is a really good point. I think so often we can um, believe that our emotions um, dictate our physicality. So if we feel low or we're going to slump or slouch, but actually it can be the other way around as well. Our yeah. physicality can yeah. then lead to a different emotional state. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, working alongside a motivational coach and he used to do an exercise where he'd get us to stand and to smile, our biggest smile, and say, I feel awful, I feel awful, I feel awful. But when you can't say I feel awful and smile, it, it just doesn't work. Um, or to frown and say, I feel great, I feel great, I feel great. You don't feel great because because um, the two things aren't linked. And so I think, yeah, our, our physical posture can really lead and create some space for our emotions. And visualisation as well, if we can begin to... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, we can be in a situation where we feel uh, overwhelmed or we feel small, but we can visualise, um, you know, people talk about if you're doing public speaking, imagine everyone there is naked or something, you know, mm. it's just, just mm. the silliness of the image mm. uh, breaks the, the sense that, of fear that you can have all, uh, over you. And so there's things that we can use our imaginations to, which can enable us to, to shapeshift, as it were, and to, to find our way forward, our way through. And I think imagination is a huge key to how we see ourselves. So <clears throat> this gets us into some a theme that we're going to kind of return to quite a lot and is a core theme for us at Shapeshifters, which is storytelling. Because we all have a story about who we are and we're often not fully aware of what the story is that we've told ourselves. We've often inherited a lot of the stories about who we are from our background, our culture, our family, and so on. And one of the things we're really interested in is how those stories can shift, and as the stories shift, we shift. That the shape-shifting happens when the storytelling changes. And uh, I often think of it in terms of something I saw on TV recently, which was, there was, a <clears throat> there was an episode of some... Uh, people who are conservationists and working with uh, the wildlife in the Gulf of Mexico, I think it was. And they were out on a boat one day and they came across a whale. And the whale was basically completely wrapped up in fishermen's netting. And the netting was actually restricting their movement so much that if they didn't get out of this netting, they would, they would die because they couldn't move. They were the whale completely stuck, yeah. bound up. The whale was um, stuck completely. And it was a really difficult job, but the, um, the, the people who found the, the, the whale, with just little knives, actually managed to, first of all, free a dorsal fin, and then they freed the other dorsal fin. And it took a few hours, and there was a risk that this whale could actually die on them when they were doing it. And then they eventually, they weren't sure they could do it, but they managed to free uh, the, the tail fin. And eventually the whale was freed enough to be able to swim on its own. And then the whale did this amazing display of dancing in the water <laughs> and jumping out and doing somersaults and backflips. And a whale time. I'm having a whale of a time. <laughs> and um, they, they just kind of released this whale to be its fully full whaleness. And I think that's the same with us and stories, that we're often bound up by stories that have trapped us and limited us, without us often even realising it. And 
we can actually become freer of those stories to tell different stories and live out different stories yeah. about who we are. It's like um, like a new operating system, isn't it? It reminds me of the two Eskimos who um, they sat down for dinner and one of them looked at the other one, looked at the plate and went, we'll meet again oh. <laughs> so, no <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, actually. Um, <laughs> so there we have it. We have the various forms of shape-shifting, which we will come back to and look at again. Uh, shape-shifting through kind of an awareness of uh, an opportunity to change when things happen to us in our lives rather than just be tourists, an opportunity to see change happen physically as we move in different ways, and an opportunity to see change and shape-shifting happen when we change our stories. Absolutely. So do subscribe. Go on to iTunes, SoundCloud, tell your friends about us, leave a good review, and see you back here again. Goodbye. So, this is the end of season one. It certainly is, folks. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've had a great time. <laughs> so have I. I really have. Oh, great. Because it's brilliant. And, uh... We're looking forward to seeing you all on the flip side in season yeah. two. 2017, listen out. But don't forget you can always go to the website as well, theshapeshifters.org. And um, thank you to Howard, our producer and editor. Thank you to Katie, who designed the images. Thank you, Andre, thank for you all of your kind and wise words. And thank you all for listening. Yeah. 